When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here with you and joining me, one of my favorite analysts from ZoneCoverage.com, Arif Hassan. Arif, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, So, Arif, I know that you are as nerdy as me when it comes to getting into the NFL draft and watching a lot of guys play and formulating your opinions on what could happen on draft day. And it's by far, not even close, the biggest need of the Vikings, the biggest thing that's talked about in every mock draft is the offensive line. But I think, and I hope you agree with me, that there is a possibility, a distinct possibility, that in a deep draft, the Vikings could still go in another direction. Do you agree in that statement? Yeah, no, absolutely, especially because it's uh, it's thin at some positions, but uh, along the offensive line, especially on the inside, uh, it goes a little bit deeper, so it might even make you know uh, analytical sense. I know that Brooks um, Gilman's really into that kind of nerdy stuff um, to go into an, uh, another position in the first round. So I want to talk to you about some of the best players that I see that possibly could be available. And uh, if you enjoy our website, 1500ESPN.com, I'm putting out on Monday 30 players who the Vikings could draft. And a lot of them are non-offensive linemen. So I'm going to run through that list with you, Arif. And let's just talk about some of these guys that are possibilities. And I think the first position that it starts with for me is the three-technique defensive tackle because they signed Sheldon Richardson to a one-year deal, and he's an excellent player, but I think he made it pretty clear that his goal is to come here, sack some dudes, and then get a big contract somewhere else. Also, Rick Spielman mentioned wanting a rotation along the defensive line, and right now they just do not have that at all. In fact, they really don't have a whole lot of depth outside of Jaleel Johnson, who hasn't exactly played in the NFL yet. So it starts for me, Arif, with Maurice Hurst who is uh, not controversial, but maybe hard to pin down exactly where he's going to go in this draft. But from watching a couple of games of his, I think he's a dominant defensive tackle out of uh, Michigan who's undersized, but that fits what Mike Zimmer likes to do. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, he asked Sharif Floyd to lose weight when, when he arrived. Uh, Geno Atkins, undersized defensive tackle, I, I think 
that absolutely fits uh, what he's done in the three technique position. He loves interior pass rushers. And, and what have you seen from Hurst? Because, uh, you know, he doesn't have that exactly typical size, but it just seems like he's quick and, and not really blockable. And he's always making plays in the backfield. And, you know, a lot of times I see people talking about traits with guys and, and I, and I get that. And we're going to talk about a guy with the traits after Hurst, but I like when I see somebody producing, I, I don't feel like it's very often that you get a Daniel Hunter that didn't have big numbers that ends up having it translate to the NFL. How do you feel about that? No, I, I feel pretty strongly about that. Um, one of the interesting things when you look at defensive line play uh, is that you know, the college statistics can often translate. If you take a look at you know, the, the super nerdy stuff, like the pro football focus, uh, you know, pass rusher productivity looks at you know, not just sacks, but like pressures and, and hits. Um, or you can just take a look at you know, when the player was at their peak, you know, whether or not that was their sophomore, junior, senior year, you know, uh, how many you know tackles for loss and sacks did they produce? Both of those tend to translate over into the NFL. And out of all of the three technique defensive tackles uh, that'll go in the first three rounds, he's by far the most productive. Um, he's an incredibly productive player. He's very good uh, at, at stopping the run, which uh, you know at the next level might end up being a weakness. But um, in college was was a, was a great strength of his. Uh, and then even more, of course, was was putting pressure on the quarterback. Uh, one of the things when you watch him, one of the things that, that he reminds me of um, is uh, the, the way, you know, kind of Zimmer's orchestrated the Vikings defenses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, when you take a look at Shreve Floyd, one of his best assets was his ability to get off the ball off the snap. Uh, his first step was uh, explosive, and I think you kind of see the same thing with Maurice Hurst. Then you take a look at Tom Johnson. One of the quotes that always sticks out to me about um, the way Zimmer described Tom Johnson is he, once he described him as slippery very difficult for guards to get um, a handle on him. And I think Hurst has kind of the same thing when you can kind of combine some of the best qualities out of the, the starting caliber defensive tackles that they've had and, and combine it with a lot of elite production uh, in college. I think you've got a really exciting prospect. That's a really good fit for the defense. And where we stand right now, Arif, I am of the camp that if someone's knock is they're not going to be that good against the run, that's totally fine with me. I mean, I just dare the other team to try and win by running because in the NFL today, that's going to be pretty darn difficult. Yeah, no, I think so. <laughs> it's uh, the NFL has kind of proven more and more that it's a it's a passing and stop pass league, uh, and uh, and there's not a lot of teams that that are getting by running the ball to kind of get over that hurdle. I mean, you take a look at all the top teams. Uh, I think this year and last year. I mean, it's been a long time since we've had a team that seemed like it was primarily focused on running that also happened to be bad at passing, mm-hmm. uh, get, get pretty uh, far in the playoffs. I mean, you've had some run-focused teams, but if you take a look, I mean, Russell Wilson's not that bad at throwing the ball. Uh, and so, uh, you know, you have to be good at one of those two things in order to get far in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, if, if they're going to run the ball, I mean, I guess let them. Another guy that's really interesting to me is Taven Bryan, who is from Florida, because he doesn't have the big sack numbers, but when I look at his pro football focus statistics, he's getting a lot of pressures, and you see that when you watch his games, that he he doesn't look as technical as Maurice Hurst, but he's always in the quarterback's face, and he's always driving people backwards, and he's a big, strong guy that has kind of that quickness, and with him, you look at his physical makeup, and it does have some similarities to Sheldon Richardson, which I think could intrigue the Vikings. 
Yeah, if you take a look at the the three technique defensive tackles expected to go in the first two rounds, I think uh, he's got the best physical profile for a three technique. Like you take a look at uh, some of the some of the tests that translate best, uh, and you know, those tests tend to be you know your, your three cone and your short shuttle drills, as well as a little bit of the explosion test. You know, he's kind of got the best athletic profile on that to go along with that. Um, he's also one of the younger uh, three technique defensive tackles that they could go after. So. Uh, he's got a good profile from that perspective. Um, I'm not as big a fan of him as I am of, you know, someone like Hurst or, or even, um, you know, a couple of people further down down the board just because it doesn't always look like he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, he kind of gets lost. I mean, you mentioned he's got a ton of pressures from uh, pressure charting by the people at Pro Football Focus. Um, but it, sometimes I'm not saying that they're letting him generate pressure, but they're kind of riding him up through the arc because he doesn't know where the passer is and so he's driving up field a lot and then he's not kind of going anywhere with it and so for him i think there's there's a lot more uh you know he's a ball of clay and you have to work with him but there's a lot you have to work with uh and so you have to have a plan in place if you draft him and i'm not you know the vikings almost certainly if any team's gonna have a plan in place for coaching defensive linemen it's them um but you know he's a guy that I think is very clearly if you're going to separate them into tiers, you know, I think Maurice first is in a tier of his own Then you might even need to skip a tier. And then you get to Taven Bryan, who is this wonderfully athletic, pretty productive in college. Um, but he's very clearly, you know, he needs to know what he's doing. Yeah. 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 Definitely. He looks like uh, the water boy a little bit with just, yeah. like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just somebody teach this man how to play. And I, and I think that with him, um, you're right about the situation matters a lot to players' success. And if you get to be uh, with Minnesota and their defensive line coach, Andre Patterson, usually that works out pretty good for you. The other guy I wanted to talk to you about is the far other end of the spectrum in Duran Payne, who just didn't really do anything aside from get to the national championship game and play like a beast in terms of his production. It has not been good, but that game alone seems to have elevated him way up. And that's the guy that I would be the most wary of because of that has one big game. And then they talk about his traits and all those things, but on the bigger sample, it really wasn't that impressive. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. You're hitting on, uh, you know, players that, that profile the best at like one of the three kind of analytics that matter. So I uh, get a production athleticism. Now you go to age. Ron Payne is by far the youngest mm, yeah. uh, out of these guys. Uh, and you know, that, that seems to matter uh, in terms of the way that people translate. I mean, the younger you get into the NFL, even after you control for, for draft position, the younger you get into the NFL, the more likely you are to have success. Now we know that's not 100% the case. I mean, the Vikings have a very young wide receiver on the roster that that is yet to succeed. But for the most part, uh, that's pretty good. And I think you can take a look at Daniel Hunter and see that. Um, you mentioned him blowing up in the national championship game, Deron Payne, and it kind of reminds me of Tashawn Bauer, who had virtually no production at LSU, and not in a way where you could very easily excuse it, like uh, his mm-hmm. former teammate Daniel Hunter. Um, he just didn't seem to be flashing a lot. And then at his bowl game. I think he got three sacks, yes. uh, and, and that put him on um, a lot of teams' radars, especially, of course, the Vikings. And um, he's turn- I mean, he's already outproduced most undrafted free agents, and he's turning out to be an interesting uh, person in the conversation for, for depth at the position. Um, you could take a look at someone like Deron Payne, who is shine on the national stage. You see how young he is. You know that um, his athletic profile is a little bit better than average uh, at the defensive tackle position. 
Um, and you can kind of you can begin excusing um, the production problems, right? Because a lot of players at Alabama along the defensive line, they're asked to stop the run first. They're asked to kind of hold the gap instead mm-hmm. of moving forward. Uh, you know, a lot of his teammates are probably sucking up a good degree of tackles and sacks from him that he's helping create. Um, but that's definitely someone that you want to make sure you've got your film study right. And you know that you're confident that this is what's happening, that, that that's exactly, you know, the case where he's the one that, that's taking on these blocks that is allowing, you know, other people to, to make plays instead of just other people happening to make plays around him, as it were. Uh, and so you need to be very careful about how you break down his film. Well, the nice thing that about this situation for the Vikings, if they want to take one of these three top prospects, is that Sheldon Richardson is there. And so if it's someone like Payne, who's very young, or Brian, who's very raw, you get to mix them in as opposed to asking them to step right in and play huge snap counts in the NFL right away where they could get frustrated or, or have some trouble there and uh, struggle early on. You get to have some development there, which I think does matter a lot with those uh, defensive linemen. Is there another guy that catches your eye that might be a l- down the board a little bit? Cause I think those are the three that get talked about a lot, but there are a few other defensive tackles. I, it doesn't look to me like it's a deep defensive tackle draft, but there are a, a, a couple who have been talked about somewhat that might be interesting in the second or third for the Vikings. Yeah, no, there are a couple. Um, I think it's deeper at the nose tackle position, which is always unexciting. Right. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, there's a couple of players that, that can kind of fit the, the profile of both. Um, a lot of people have talked about Harrison Phillips, for example, um, who's uh, probably, I think, according to traditional statistics, the most productive. I think once you factor in stuff like pressures and, and quarterback hits, uh, he drops off a little bit uh, in comparison to someone like Maurice Hurst. But uh, just enormously productive. I think led his team in tackles as a defensive tackle. Um, he's an interesting guy. A lot of people are putting him actually at the one technique position, even though he'd be undersized for it, um, just because he he doesn't profile athletically as a guy that uh, should be able to um, you know bend his hips and and generate you know pass rush pressure from the three technique spot. Um, I'm kind of interested in him, not as a first round pick. I think there's enough red flags there. Uh, in terms of how he moves. But, I mean, a guy like that, sometimes he might want to take a chance in his production. Um, there's a lot of defensive line people that I follow uh, you know, on Twitter and that I talk to at the Senior Bowl um, that are really skeptical of him mm-hmm. just because uh, you know, he doesn't move all that well, but he just happens to have you know, all of this production. And so, um, of course, that's a conversation you'd have inside the building if you're the Vikings. Um, and you need to figure out sort of, you know, is this production a fluke? Is it something you can generate? Um, because his athletic limitations are very real. He's not going to get around them. Um, but as a as a one technique, you know, his his agility doesn't matter as much as his explosion. And he is a very explosive athlete. So if you could have him as a swing guy um, that could occasionally play three technique, have him learn that position for a year and then have him back up Laval Joseph or something like that. He could be interesting. Um, I'm not in love with him, but he's interesting. Uh, and then Nathan Shepard, um, small school player from Fort Hayes State, um, almost goes to that saying. He's very productive at Fort Hayes State. Um, but, uh, you know, he's, he's also uh, athletically interesting, much older than I think the rest of the defensive uh, tackle prospects. So you have to take that into account. Um, but uh, for the couple of days that he was uh, at the Senior Bowl before uh, you know a minor hand injury took him out for the rest of the week, uh, he was by far the the best um, defensive lineman there. And that includes like 
Marcus Davenport and some of the other. Uh, I think Deshaun Hand was there too. Um, he's by far the best defensive lineman there. Uh, and, you know, he moved really fluidly. Uh, he moved like, I mean, every basic defensive tackle scouting term you could use, I think he kind of fit. Um, and to, as a bonus, he was not undersized in comparison to a lot of the mm-hmm. really slithery, pass rush capable defensive tackles. Um, you know, he was he was really big. He was really violent with his hands. He knew how to use his hands, which is a little bit different than what you'll see um, on film for him. He uh, he's a little bit violent without a plan. Um, but at the Senior Bowl, he he very much looked a lot more technically refined than he did on film, which implies to me that he's probably pretty coachable. Um, so uh, you know, he he's super interesting. But as a small school prospect, you never really know where he's going to go. He could go at the end of the first round, or um, he could wait until the end of the second day to hear his name called. Okay, two things. First of all, violent without a plan is super punk rock. That's number one. <laughs> Second of all, go Fort State Tigers. Uh, just wanted to say that. Do you ever watch Better Call Saul? You see that show? No, I hear it's better, though. It's, oh, it's, it, it, I, that would be a stretch, but it's really, really good, though. And one okay. of the one of the bits though is that anytime a, a university comes up, he says, you know, go whoever. So he's got, it's just you know, go land crabs or whatever. Anyway, it's <laughs> uh, I I I like that bit. So go Fort State Hayes uh, Tigers. I did have to look that up. Um, let me switch over to the cornerbacks because it wouldn't be a Mike Zimmer draft if it didn't include a cornerback. It just has to, and there is a legitimate case for a first round pick corner because there are some intriguing players and uh, I don't know who's playing nickel at this point and I also don't know what the future is for Trey Waynes with all the players that they're paying top dollar how are you going to keep everybody and maybe Trey Waynes is the guy that says hey if if I'm an above average corner for a couple years here and I hit the market I am going to make a lot of money so they can put the fifth year option on him or exercise that and keep him through 2019. But this team is always looking a couple of miles down the road when it comes to their defensive backs, because Zimmer knows the value of a good corner in the NFL. The guy that starts with me, Arif is, is Jair Alexander uh, Alexander. I don't know if he is the best prospect, but he seems like the guy that would fit what the Vikings want to do. Uh, yeah, I think for me, he's my favorite prospect out of all the corners. Um, I don't think he'll, you know, fall to the Vikings or anything like that. But like you said, he does fit what the Vikings want to do. Um, they prioritize length a lot, mm-hmm. um, length, length and speed. And he definitely has both of those things. Um, in fact, if you take a look at going back to you know all those nerdy analytics that I like talking about, if you take a look at the three factors, he's uh, the second youngest cornerback, I think. Um, in the first 100 picks, unless Quentin Meeks gets picked first, then he's the third youngest. Um, and then um, it, it, he's, he's the second youngest. His athleticism profiles um, has a very strong relationship with success at the position. Um, I think he's the strongest or second strongest there. Uh, and then from a productivity standpoint, if you take a look at, um, again, those PFF scores, how many yards you allow and how many mm-hmm. adjusted yards, like interceptions and touchdowns, uh, how many times you get your hands on the ball, uh, which I think a lot of people refer to as ball hawk percentage. Um, you take a look at all that. He's by far the most productive cornerback in the draft. It's not even close. And so um, his, his analytical profile is extraordinarily appealing. Um, I think he's got some injury concerns at Louisville, and which is why uh, his name didn't, I think, pop up for a lot of people until a little bit later in the process. Um, but I think he's the most interesting and, and possibly the best cornerback prospect in the draft when you take into account 
um, all of that and and include the fact that uh, with his traits as a, as a larger cornerback, um, he should be more versatile in the NFL. So he absolutely fits what the Vikings like to do. They love to get athletes at the position. Um, he moves a little bit better um, than uh, than both Waynes and Rhodes when it comes to the agility tests. Uh, and he's kind of got the length of the covet. Now, one comment that I got when I uh, wrote something about Alexander was that the Vikings already have a corner named Alexander, and he hasn't worked out. So I think that's analytics, Arif. No, that's a good point. I, uh, I hadn't considered that. I'll be taking him off the board. Yeah. Now. You know, I, you are pretty thorough, so I'm surprised you missed that. Yeah, no, that's, uh, you know, a rare mistake. <laughs> How about Josh Jackson? He's an intriguing guy to me because you mentioned the production and th- th- he was thrown at a ton, which I don't know what to think about. Like, it, I think he was targeted, according to Pro Football Focus, 91 times, which is a ton for a college season. But he also came away with eight picks and a bunch of passes defended. He's kind of a one-year wonder guy. I think that there would be reason to be a little nervous about him, but he is on that bigger size kind of corner. Yeah, no, he is. Um, I, I don't see him as a, a great fit for the Vikings. I think his athleticism, a lot of people kind of knock it because he ran a, a slow uh, 40, but the, the rest of it was fine. His athleticism is actually, as it relates to the history of cornerback production in the NFL, a little bit better than average in the class, but it still kind of doesn't fit what the Vikings do just because they really do love um, guys who are fast in a straight line. Um, but you know, he's fluid and he's smart. Um, he works well in zone systems, which is why he got so many picks. Um, it is interesting that he got thrown at so much. Um, like you said, he, he turned it into a lot of production for Iowa. Uh, and generally speaking, when they did throw it to him, uh, you know, quarterbacks usually regretted it. Yeah. Um, I think it's, uh, I think it's, a, I think it's like number one on Josh Allen's low light reel actually, <laughs> um, is a, is a pick six to Josh Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know he's he's a pretty fun um, cornerback to watch, especially because of how easy he kind of makes a lot of things uh, look. I mean, I think fluid is kind of the first thing that always comes to mind uh, when when you watch him. But I, I I just think that because he doesn't have the speed the Vikings typically look for in cornerback, uh, that he's probably not going to be on their board unless they they think of him as a slot only guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you're right; he's a little bit bigger, so you don't really think of him as a slot guy. But the Vikings seem to care a lot less about speed. When it comes to the inside position, they care a lot more about, you know, quickness and agility and, and traits that Jackson has demonstrated that he has. But if that's the case, I don't think that we're picking him in the first round. Still, I think he'll succeed if he's in the right system where, uh, you know, I don't think he's a man corner, but I think in his own system, he'll be he'll be really successful. So the other guys that I have for potential corners here, and, and I'll even throw in DBs, and you could tell me if, if any of these guys stand out to you as, or maybe which one might stand out. From Mike Hughes, University of Central Florida, Justin Reed, the guy from Stanford who has played uh, some nickel and kind of all over the place, Dante Jackson, blazing fast guy from LSU, and Isaiah Oliver, the cornerback from Colorado, who's another tall guy with reach is is there one of those guys in there that would have a possibility of being number 30 yeah i think uh out of those possibilities i mean i like justin reed a lot um i think mike hughes also makes a ton of sense uh the issue with hughes of course is that he's got off-field questions that he has to answer um and uh, you know he had to, i think he had to transfer universities because of a sexual assault allegation so um, you know, they'll investigate the claims there, of course, and, and see if that bears out. But 
Uh, athletically, Hughes kind of fits what they do at the cornerback position, um, just like Xavier Rhodes and Trey Waynes. He's also a super physical corner, um, which is something that they love. Uh, and uh, and he knows how to kind of integrate that into his football skill set. A lot of times you'll see very physical cornerbacks that um, don't really know how to do that. So if they miss a jam or something like that, they're just kind of lost, and, and mm-hmm. he tends not to be. Um, the only issue, I think, is he ran a four-five-three. I think, at the Combine. Uh, and that might be their cutoff for uh, for those kinds of guys, but you know he doesn't ever look like he's um, lacking in long speed, uh, and so uh, it's kind of interesting where, where uh, this is one of the cases where it, it doesn't seem like the game tape and 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 the combine match up. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I don't know how they would resolve that, but that's something to kind of consider. Uh, and then um, you know, occasionally when when he's a uh, when when he when he is deep in coverage, he'll lose balance, which I personally cannot criticize too much. I definitely understand kind of hitting dirt after covering someone on a wheel route or something like that. Um, but I think at the NFL level, that's um, that's not as desirable. So that's something to think about. Justin Reed, I think, is a an enormously talented athlete. Uh, it'll be kind of interesting to see what happens with him, just because there's this whole thing about his brother right now, Eric Reed. Uh, who still hasn't signed with the team? Yeah, um, it, I imagine that Justin Reed's gonna has fielded a lot of questions about whether or not he will protest in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, and to my understanding, he has said that you know he won't, which you know I'm not going to comment on here. But uh, you know it, it creates a a unique problem, I guess. Um, like you said, he played a lot of nickel uh, in college, and he did all right at that. I think he'll end up being better at safety. Um, but that kind of versatility, of course, is is really appealing, and it also raises the possibility of having a safety that's almost as versatile as uh, as Harrison Smith, because Justin Reed did also blitz off the edge a fair amount as a safety or as a as a nickel corner. Um, he did, you know, stuff the run from from that nickel spot, and then he did also play, you know, the safety position uh, for Stanford a, a fair amount of times. Uh, he's a pretty young player for his position. Uh, and uh, and he's really athletic too, and so I think out of all the safeties, I mean it's not a remarkably athletic safety class. So I think out of all the safeties, he ends up profiling as one of the better athletes at the position to be picked in the top 100. Uh, and uh, unlike a lot of safeties, uh, except for Minka Fitzpatrick and Derwin James, uh, the rest of the safeties in the class are not all that versatile. But but he happens to be, uh, and so he uh, he would I think add a lot to the defense and make it very difficult to figure out in a way that. I mean, it already is pretty difficult to figure out with the way Harrison Smith roams, but it would kind of just add another level to that. Yeah, and at some point with uh, Anderson Deho, there is going to be a cliff to fall off, I imagine. I mean, he's 30 years old, and he's coming off of probably his best season ever, which always makes you think that regression is on the way after such a great season. Uh, And when guys get to that age, you're talking about a lot of miles on the body. He had a pretty severe concussion there uh, against... New Orleans I don't know if that will impact him going into next year but thinking about a a chess piece so to speak on the defense somebody else that would be more versatile than him is really intriguing especially for his athleticism the other one that I have for possible positions that could be drafted and an edge rusher wouldn't completely blow me away but I'd be surprised same with wide receiver I would be really surprised if they went down that path again in the first round so the only other position that I have Arif is tight end and the tight ends in this year's class there are really two that stand far out for their athleticism and then another one that sort of catches my eye 
But uh, Dallas Goddard from South Dakota State and Mike Gusecki from Penn State both fit sort of that Jimmy Graham or Greg Olson to some extent or uh, Travis Kelsey. Both of them are super tall, very fast, and with both of these guys, it seems like they can go up and get it. And I think the Vikings need to be thinking long-term and short-term about this position uh, how they could add another weapon to the offense for Kirk Cousins, but also the same thing that goes for Sandejo goes with Kyle Rudolph. How long is he going to be as effective as he has been? Yeah, no, I think so, um, especially because I'm not going to say that the Vikings necessarily regret Rudolph's contract, but it doesn't look great uh, in terms of uh, value for money, although he has been healthy um, the past two years, which has not been, I think, historically the case for him. Uh, you do kind of wonder how long it's going to be just because um, one of the stories with Rudolph has always been, you know, he's going to recover from this injury that he had you know, as a junior in college or something like that. Uh, and so he's finally he's going to develop some speed to his game, and then he kind of never did. Um, and so you kind of wonder what kind of all, all that injury baggage with him, um, you know, when it's going to potentially fall apart. Uh, you could add another tight end. Like you mentioned, Kirk Cousins loves throwing to tight ends. He had very talented tight ends to throw to, of course. Um, but you know, if it's a if it's a thing that he's particularly comfortable with in offenses, you really want to enable that because they, you know, spend so much money to get him. You might as well create the best possible environment for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, getting a tight end would make a lot of sense both in the short term and the long term. And like you mentioned, Dallas Goddard and Mike Gusecki um, aren't just the two uh, most interesting athletes in the class. Uh, well, maybe maybe a third one. I think I know who you're referring to. Um, but also, by far, I think the two uh, you know best tight ends in the class. Uh, I think the difference is that Goddard is um, a more of an all-around tight end uh, who does block pretty well. Uh, and everyone just kind of assumes that, you know, you come from a gritty state like South Dakota, you should be able to block. And at least in this case, it seems to be true, uh, where uh, where he's been pretty productive on the field, uh, both as a blocker and as a, and a pass catcher. Um, I think he ended up accounting for um, the majority of his team's receiving yards as a tight end. And there's another draft pick playing on the team at, at receiver um, that he overtook in terms of yardage, which that's, I think, is always impressive. Uh, so, you know, he certainly knows how to, you know, make things work as a receiver from the tight end position. Uh, and, and he was a productive blocker there at South Dakota State. I think from a technique perspective, there's probably still a lot he has to learn. Um, but like you said, you know, he's a pretty good athlete. The Vikings tend to look at vertical leap. Uh, for tight ends, they want him to jump, you know, 33 inches or higher, which is actually pretty difficult to do as a, as a tight end when you weigh like 250 pounds, you're already 6'5". Um, both he and Gasecki did. Gasecki with like flying colors, mm-hmm. um, both he and Gasecki did that. Um, for Gasecki, you know, I think for him it's more about upside than it is about um, current production and, and current skill set, although he wasn't a bad producer by any means. He's just often with tight ends that you talk about in the first round, they tend to account for a greater percentage of their team's receiving yards. Mm-hmm. You do have to take into account, of course, that Kaseki is playing with one of the best receiving backs um, we've seen uh, enter the draft in a while, Saquon Barkley. So um, that kind of changes uh, probably your evaluation of his production. But even after accounting for that, it's not an amazing amount of production, but it's still a lot of it's there. When he's targeted, you, like you said, he knows how to go up and get it. Um, he looked uh, pretty good uh, in, in terms of route running and, and all of that when uh, taken out of the Penn State environment, uh, you know, at the combine and stuff. Uh, and, and he should have a great amount of vertical ability. Uh, for him, though, he I, I think he fits more of the, the Jimmy Graham than the Greg Olson, as it were, mm-hmm. because he's yeah. not a very good blocker. 
Um, but he is tremendously athletic and very valuable as a tight end, as a, as a pass catcher. So um, it really depends on what they're looking for, because if they get Mike Gusecki, then you end up with a tight end who's a really great catcher, um, who doesn't block all that often, you end up with a really great blocker in David Morgan, um, who's good at catching the ball, but it's certainly not a, a pass receiving option um, for, for a lot of teams uh, by any means. And then a tight end that they like to think of as kind of in the middle and Kyle Rudolph, who in my opinion, should be able to block a little bit better than he does, but, you know, it's more of an all-around tight end uh, from the perspective of how they use them. And you've got three different types of tight ends, uh, and, and that, I think, leads to some interesting stuff. But I, I think, you know, if if they wanted a more all-around tight end, they go with Dallas Goddard. Not that Gusecki is bad by any means. He's a tremendous athlete that, you know, potentially could translate into a really high-level uh, pass-catching tight end. But in terms of kind of an overall package, Dallas Goddard's got more going on. Yeah, yeah, no, I think he's he's kind of your Zach Ertz a little bit here, mm-hmm. and and I like the the Jimmy Graham with uh, Mike Gusecki because you know, he doesn't block at all. I mean, I I like to with every one of these guys. I w- I took twenty players for this article, and I watched one or two games of each one of them. Uh, you know, you, people can do this on YouTube if they want to. It's not special. And the the one thing I did come away with, or two things from Gusecki, is if you throw it up. He'll get it. I mean, he is incredible when it comes to those, quote, 50-50 balls. But he couldn't block you, Arif. I mean, he at this point in his career, <laughs> like, I mean, it was kind of pathetic. And I thought some, some of Saquon Barkley's um, not-so-successful runs came where he just, like, completely whiffed on a guy or got manhandled. And I, I look at that the same way as we talked about three-technique defensive tackles, though. Like, oh, he can't run block? Yeah, okay. I mean, if he's spectacular at catching the ball, then it's pretty much fine with me that he isn't that great of a blocker, even though it's going to drive the football people crazy. Yeah, no, I think so. I just think with with the Vikings, you know they are going to run the ball, even though they've got Kirk Cousins, because with Dalvin Cook and Mike Zimmer, I mean, you might as well be good at it if you're going to do it. It's true. Um, So that's... Yeah, so that's that's kind of the concern, because you're not going to magically change Mike Zimmer's mind on whether or not to run the ball. Um, so you might as well be good at it. So that's, you know, something to consider uh, that. And I, I still would like Gusecki to have accounted for, uh, you know, a greater proportion of his team's receiving yards, but I kind of get it. Right. Cause I mean, yeah. Saquon Barkley is right there. Um, so it doesn't bother me too much, but, uh, you know, like you said, uh, he's not, uh, the most refined, uh, blocker by any means. So before we wrap up here, Reef and great stuff as expected, hashtag as expected, uh, great stuff. Do you have a guy, a guy in this draft, offensive line, whatever the position might be, that you would just give the Vikings an A plus if they got him at thirty? Who is your number one if you were taking all the guys you thought that they could possibly draft? And I have thirty of them on my list, and I know who my number one is. Who's yours? Right, well, so assuming that Quentin Nelson's off the board. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, right. Any yeah. anybody the, here was my way of doing it. If I've seen this person mock drafted to the Vikings, then I can do it by like a legitimate source, ESPN, NFL okay. Network, CBS. Then I can say he's on my list. I've got a tie, if that's okay. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's just a podcast, so you can really do whatever you want. Yeah, right. I mean, there's no time <laughs> restrictions like a real radio show. Um, but <laughs> they're both offensive linemen, which. Super exciting, but I like both of these prospects a lot. One is Isaiah Wynn from Georgia, 
played left tackle for four years uh, for them. And I think he played left tackle for four years in high school. They're going to convert him to guard. Uh, when I was able to watch him at the Senior Bowl, um, he extremely naturally was able to convert to guard, not just on the left side, but on the right side. He didn't even need to take a snap to kind of get his footwork straight. Um, he's just an extraordinarily natural offensive lineman. Uh, and uh, he was really good uh, at, um, you know, not letting, you know, pass rushers get past him, um, despite the fact that, you know, he's 6'2 or whatever. He's not tall enough, I guess, to be a tackle. Um, he is a wonderful athlete, a, a really great uh, pass protector, a really good run blocker, kind of everything that you'd expect. Um, I remember before going to the Senior Bowl, a lot of people had him at the top of the um, at the top of the third, bottom of the second, and then kind of after the, uh, you know, a lot of the process has gone through, um, he's uh, in the first round and, and very likely um, going to be drafted before the Vikings can pick him. Um, but, you know, I think he moves really well, which is really important for the way that they, you know, orient their zone blocking scheme. Uh, and I think he's uh, really gifted in, in terms of kind of intuiting how pass rushers are going to attack him. Um, so I think he's really good. And then the other one's Connor Williams, which a lot of people are not excited by. Uh, I'm very excited by. Um, so he's really young. Um, offensive linemen tend not to be all that young when they, when they declare. Um, he's kind of one of the few that are. Um, but he is a tremendous athlete for the position, uh, in terms of the, the stuff that translates into, uh, into performance, uh, at offensive tackle or offensive guard. Um, that he's been talked about as both. Uh, and, uh, his 2016 season, which is the season we have full data for. Um, is, uh, is, is one of the better seasons in college football we've seen from an offensive tackle if the guys in pro football focus are to be believed. This is a small thing with Connor Williams, but at the combine, just his general disposition came across as very serious, mean offensive line guy. And I, it's a, <laughs> I know, right? But like those interviews are kind of a joke. How many teams did you visit? Like, I don't know. Who cares about this? But, it just his. <laughs> I really liked his demeanor. Like considering what type of demeanor exists for the successful lineman that the Vikings have now, he just came across to me like a guy who would be not really fun to play against because he's just a serious guy and is when you watch him on tape, he's nasty and he's mean. And I think that's a big deal when you watch somebody on tape, if they are finishing blocks and you like them to throw somebody down or jump on somebody after the play or like really show that edge. And I think he had that too. Um, well, you nailed my number one, which was Isaiah Wynn. And another one that I think is a name worth knowing. If you don't know it by now is Frank Ragnow, who is from, Minnesota, and it seems is getting more buzz as we go up to the draft here. He is another guy who's just a monster. He's a center, but he could play guard. And mm -hmm. I, I only watched one game, but every, every play, he was just pushing the other guy back, plowing people, just winning one-on-one -on -one battles all the time. And that really impressed me. If they came away with him first round, second round, wherever it might be, I think you have a day one starter who fits in really well. But there is a part of me, Arif, that just loves the idea of drafting one of those tight ends because I think offense wins and you've already got a good defense. So, like, you know, weapons are what you need for Kirk Cousins to succeed. It's what he needed in Washington in 2016. So I am, I am down with, uh, with that. But I am really big on, on Ragnow after especially following some of the same people you talk about. Um, you know, Jeff Schwartz on Twitter has talked about him a bit. He's a former Vikings player and New York Giants player. And uh, so I, I think they get an A-plus if they get any of those guys. 
Yeah, no, I, I should have mentioned Ragnar. Actually, that's a good point. Yeah, you should have. Uh, yes, my mistake. Uh, <laughs> even if you throw on like what you expect to be, you know, his worst game, which would be the Alabama game, he does tremendously well uh, against uh, all of these guys that are going in the first round of this draft or next year's draft. Uh, you know, he does a great job just moving people, preventing pressure up the middle. Um, if you want to talk about, you know, quote unquote production at the position, or at least, you know, measurable college performance, um, you know, there's, there's him in terms of, you know, preventing, uh, you know, pressures. Then there's like this vast landscape of nobody. And then there's the next (laughs) best center. Like he is incredibly good at preventing pressure, uh, compared to his peers and incredibly good at preventing mistakes in the run game. And like you just talked about. You know, you like guys who finish, and both he and Connor Williams are just guys that absolutely love to beat up on people. They love finishing. And one of the things I like about Ragnar is not only does he love to, like, finish and beat up on people, he also just doesn't make that many mistakes. Like, you know, that's kind of the other end. You want guys who are consistent, too. Um, and he doesn't make that many mistakes. He's, yeah, he's ridiculously talented. And like you said, he can play guard, too. So, um, yeah, I'd be super excited if we got him. And his name is Frank Ragnar. I mean, that's just... Yeah, it's a more offensive line. I mean, I guess Hank Fraley, but he's already, <laughs> you know, with the Vikings, right? So that's about it. Yeah, yeah, that's... It's a pretty... It's He checks off all the boxes, including his offensive line name. Well, um, Arif, awesome stuff. Great detail, as always, and I, I really appreciate it. And I will look forward to seeing you out at the TCO Performance Center and uh, talking again soon after the draft. Yeah, should be fun. All right, and make sure you follow Arif on Twitter, which is Arif Hassan, A-R-I-F-H-A-S-A-N-N-F-L, and his work at zonecoverage.com. And thank you all for listening to the Purple Podcast. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup, so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.